heights to the depths of the sea. Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing and all of this stuff? Therefore, the leprosy of Haman shall cling to you. So he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Notice that God allowed the leprosy that was on Naaman to go on Gehazi. And you know, it's important for all of us Christians, especially those in leadership or anywhere in the church, to, to walk in purity and honesty. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Today in our lesson, Elisha confronts his servant Gehazi, and our scripture says, Did not my heart go with you? Elisha knew. We don't know if this was supernatural knowledge or simply gained from observation and knowledge of Gehazi's character. One way or another, Elisha knew. All Gehazi's attempts to cover his sin failed. It seems that Elisha had no absolute law against receiving support from those who were touched by his ministry. Yet it was spiritually clear to Elisha, and should have been clear to Gehazi, that it was not appropriate at this time and circumstance. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 5 in the book of 2 Kings me and hold out the staff and, and throw some pixie dust on me and, and all of a sudden all this, you know, this something would happen and then everybody would get it on video and they would upload it on TikTok. You know, I mean, none of that was happening and he was expecting something big. I want to see something. I want bells and whistles. Come on. I need something to help me out here. Help me out here. And Elisha says, no, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. And notice, can you imagine the expectation that Elisha had upon himself? Can you imagine the temptation? I'm serious. Put yourself in his sandals. Here is a very significant man outside your door waiting for you to come outside with a whole mess of gold and silver. More than, I mean, he would never have to do anything ever again. He could literally go and build a house on the Dead Sea and, or better yet, in the Galilee, it's a much nicer place, and, and just live there forever and not do anything else. He'd sit back and, and chill out. But he doesn't do it. Think of, the, think of the, the temptation that would have been so great to accept the money and the gifts and the glory, but he didn't touch any of it. And Naaman, because he was so used to people being this, people being the focus of anything supernatural, he wanted to see something. He wanted to see it happening. Herod did the same thing with Jesus. In Luke 2, it tells us that when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Oh, just... You know, pull the rabbit out of the hat. I just want to see it one more time. You know, and Jesus would not be used as some kind of side act. And neither would Elisha, because the same spirit who was in Jesus Christ was the same spirit that was governing the life of Elisha. 
I'm not going to do it. The carnal man always wants the show. Elisha wouldn't play the game. He simply told him what to do. And I love this, the wonderful nature and character of God, how he even takes this wicked man and is willing to help him. The Bible says that he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, that's the God we serve. See, you and I, we, we think wrongly so often because when we think of wicked people, we, we, just, we, we only feel the, the righteous indignation of God when actuality, I think God's uh, indignation is, is very long in coming and God is willing to be patient and wait and wait and wait and wait. And yes, there is a time when he will judge, but God is so gracious. He wants people to live. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't delight in the death of man. He'd rather that the man would repent and live. God is a God of the living, not of the dead. Right? Can I get an amen in the house? Yeah, it's true. But notice verse 12. And so Naaman is like, are not the Abana and the, and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Now, these two rivers, the Abana is the modern-day Barada River. And if you were to look at a map of Israel, you know, there's the Sea of Galilee up here, and then the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea. Well, right up here is Mount Hermon, and then over here is Damascus. And there is rivers, these two rivers, the Abana would come down from Mount Hermon, Hermon and go all the way into Damascus, right through the city and this other, the far part of the river would go right to the south of Damascus and this water is ice water coming from the snow-capped mountain of Hermon. Yes, even in the middle of summer and I've been there, you can look up and it's 85 degrees outside and you look up and you can see snow on the top of Mount Hermon. I've seen it. And I'm in shorts and a, and a, and a, and a shirt. You remember Kathy recently? She saw as we stood on Mount Arbel on a clear day and we could see Mount Hermon in the distance, the snow capped, and that water would come down just pure and cold and crystal clear. Oh my goodness, the water was beautiful. It is beautiful. But then, think of the Jordan Valley. Now it's got to go from Mount Hermon all the way down the upper Jordan into the Galilee, down through the lower Jordan. By that time, it becomes so murky and muddy looking. Even today, the Jordan River is kind of murky and muddy. And so Naaman's going, are you kidding me? Couldn't he have just texted me while I was back in Damascus and say, hey, go to the, go to the um, you know, Abana River and wash yourself? It's a clean water. It certainly makes sense, right? No. Drive about 100 miles southeast and dip yourself in a muddy water. What? Are you going to do it? He did it. He did it, even at the exhortation of his servants. Wouldn't you have done much greater things if he would have asked you to do it? Why can't you just dip yourself and swallow your pride? Okay. But he did it. And notice, I'm sure his heart, each time he's going, oh, I'm wasting my time. And he goes down and he does it seven times. And lo and behold, the seventh time, he is healed. And it's obedience. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet would have told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? And how refreshing these words of reason for someone. So he went down and he dipped seven times. And according to the saying of the man of God, he was refreshed. His skin became like a baby's again. 
And see, God knew the result of Naaman's obedience. And this man evidently came to faith in Jehovah God. Not in the God Hadad Ramon of Syria. No, he comes to faith in Jehovah God, the God of Israel. This man is a believer and probably in glory, I'm sure. When we get to heaven, we may meet Naaman. Can you imagine that, talking to him? What was it like? It blew my mind. The sixth time, I was still leprous, and I had one more dip to go, and I'm thinking, I'm wasting my time, and yeah, I'm so glad I did it. Because that seventh time, the Lord did the miracle, and I was, I had like the skin of a baby. I could have done a Skin So Soft commercial. I could have done a Johnson & Johnson commercial with that little pink little towel wrapped around me, you know. I mean, he, his skin became new again. And it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where it talks about the washing of water by the word. How important it is for us guys to wash our wives in the water of the word. How important it is for, to wash our kids, to get them into the word of God. How important is us to take the word of God and to read it daily ourselves. What are we doing? We are washing ourselves with the word of God. And didn't Naaman do the same thing? Wasn't it the word of God that he obeyed and then he was cleansed? And then he was converted. He's a believer. Yes, this man, he bathed in it. And he returned, verse 15, to the man of God and all of his aides, and he came and he stood before him and he said, indeed, notice the, the testimony. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift for your, from your servant. And, and, I, and I love this about God because, you know, here he is trying to pay back the prophet, for something that God himself did. But that's all he knew, and he was still wet behind the ears. He had just been converted. His heart was just changed. And so there's still going to be a lot of stuff, some leftover baggage from his life and his world that wasn't quite right yet. But do you think God is, is upset with that? <laughs> were, you, were, were you the... Wasn't the moment that we got saved... Didn't it take a long time for, the God to, for God to refine us and to bring us to the place where we're at today? God is okay with that. He's not upset with the refining process. It takes a long time. The sanctification process takes time. God's like, I'm not worried. The man's a, a believer now. And yes, he's going to go home, and the, the king of Syria is going to go into his false god's temple, and the commander has to be there to help him Worship his God, and that's why he goes on, right? He's, he says, um, he goes in, but he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing, Elisha says. And he urged him, but he refused. So Naaman said, uh, you know, well, at least let me have a couple mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifices, notice, to other gods, but to Jehovah. <coughs> Excuse me. You'll notice in your Bible that the word Lord is all uppercase. That means it's Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, Jehovah. He's basically saying, I'm going to worship Jehovah God from now on. I'm going to worship Christ from now on. All the other gods, they're impotent. And now I come and I find the one true living God and I'm staying close to him. And I love that.
Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. And so he goes on and he says, you know, part of my job is to help my master worship his God. But Elisha, just know that when I worship, I'm not worshiping Ramon anymore, Hadad Ramon. I'm not worshiping him anymore. And even though I got to help my, my master to go into his temple. And then uh, Elisha said to him, go in peace. He, he didn't say anything either way about whether he should do that or not. But he knew God would take care of it. And God certainly does. And so notice, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, look, my master has spared Naaman. So Elisha, or Gehazi, seeing these guys turn away, and you can see Gehazi going, wait a minute, come back. He's watching the bank go out of town when they were so willingly able, willing to give it to Elisha, this $5 million, according to our standards today. But here we get a glimpse of the character of Gehazi because it's been said that everyone has their price and it appears that this opportunity was just too great for him to pass up. He couldn't pass it up. And didn't Jesus say that no man can serve two masters? He will either hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Is that the tenor of your life? That was uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. But there are always these little opportunities that arise that expose or prove where our heart truly is. And sometimes it takes years, and all of a sudden an opportunity, a circumstance will come up, and then we'll realize, wow, Lord, I thought I was in a different place, but I can't believe I fell for that. I can't believe that my heart gravitated toward that. And the Lord has a way of exposing that, not to harm us, but to make us aware of it. So Gehazi, he ran after Naaman. Naaman comes down, and, he, and, he, and, um, and then he lies. And how noble of Gehazi to preserve Elisha's reputation, because he says the silver and the clothes wasn't for him, wasn't for Elisha, but for his guests, or, or so Gehazi would purport. So now he's lying. He's, not, um, he's careful not to bring Elisha into his deception too much, but his conscience evidently hadn't been too seared because he did two things. Number one, the scripture doesn't tell us that there were two young men coming to see Elijah, number one, and there was certainly no request from Elisha for the silver and the gold garments. So he lied twice right off the bat. Gehazi broke at least four of the Ten Commandments here. Four? What do you mean? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, evidently there was a God in his heart that nobody could see that finally got exposed today, wasn't it? The God of gold and silver. You shall not have no other gods before me. That was the first one. And then uh, the riches... Um, uh, or excuse me, in, in Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. That money didn't belong to Gehazi. And yet he took it. And it says, and then uh, the other one, the third one, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Gehazi lied about the two men to visit Elijah and the request for the money to begin with. So he, and then the fourth thing, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male servant or donkey or anything else of your neighbor's. And so Gehazi was coveting the silver and the gold and the garments. So at least four of the ten. <laughs> And this one action. And so Naaman's like, please take two talents. You know, Naaman's like, you know, I'm going to be going home with all this gold. And I was, I was perfectly fine giving it all. And notice that even Naaman's servants even carried the bags of silver and the loot for Gehazi. You know why? Because it was heavy. 
It was heavy. So here are these guys, the servants, carrying these bags of silver and gold, and it was heavy. And they bring it back for him. They even take it back to where he was. In Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, for the love of money. It's not just money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of it. It's the desiring of it to possess it. To, you know, and, and, and the love of money is the root of all evil. And when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hands, stored them away. And he went in and stood before Elisha. And Elisha said, where did you go, Gehazi? And notice he said, your servant didn't go anywhere. Lie number three. <laughs> he lied to him right to his face. Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing and all of this stuff? Therefore, the leprosy of Haman shall cling to you. So he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Notice that God allowed the leprosy that was on Naaman to go on Gehazi. And you know, it's important for all of us Christians, especially those in leadership or anywhere in the church to, to walk in purity and honesty and to put all of these things that are sinful behind us and not to allow ourselves to be caught up in uh, receiving rewards and kickbacks and things of that nature. It's, it's, it's not for us to do. Jesus said, for everyone to whom much is given, to him much will be required. And to him who has been committed, uh, to whom much has been committed of them, they will ask the more. God holds those who purport to know him and speak for him at a higher accountability than others. James says, my brethren, let not many of you become many teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Yes, for those involved in ministry, it's so important for us not to you know, be looking for the kickbacks and the you know, the, the benefits. If that's your motive, that's, that's a really unsafe place to be. Pretty interesting. So let's examine our hearts, you know, tonight as we, as we consider this, you know, just how God could take this ungodly man and with even, who knows, the amount of faith that Naaman had, but notice that God was able to meet him and he's able to meet you with whatever mustard seed of faith that we have. He's willing to meet us there. And he's not angry with you, folks. You may be frustrated with yourself. You may be angry with yourself because you want so badly to be different than what you are. And I, I understand that because I feel the same way. I want to be further along in my relationship. I want to be, I want to be more free of the things that, that I trip over. And, and, and I'm ashamed at times that I'm, I'm not quite where I thought I was and where I want to be. And God's like, do you just have a little bit? I can do so much with a little bit. And hopefully tonight as we looked at Naaman's life, an unbeliever, a pagan man, who maybe had a sliver of faith. Otherwise, he wouldn't have walked all, you know, driven by horse nearly 100 miles or so to visit the prophet. He had a little bit of faith, but yet it wasn't even in his faith, really. It was that too, but 
his obedience to something that seemed absurd. And I want to encourage you to not be afraid of that. If God calls you to do something, it may not make sense to you. It may not line up on paper. It may be everyone else around you, even people in the church, you're crazy, you're losing it. Why are you doing that? Are you nuts? Have you lost it? And you can say, yes, I have. I'm nuts. I've lost it. And look at them. Make sure you open your eyes real wide. And look at them. Yeah, I've lost it. (laughs) I'd rather lose it with Christ than to have everything else and go, no, I'm good. Got everything planned out. Everything's going good. Got money in the bank. Things are set up. Yeah, man. Sweet. I'd rather be like Naaman who just comes and says, you know what? I'm not even sure I believe in this, but you know what? I'll do it. Because I'm sick of, of, of this disease. It keeps me from the people I love. I, I, you know, I've got all of this stuff, and Lord, you've given me great honor. You know, and I've got great honor, but I've got nothing. Because I, I got this thing, and I can't even enjoy it. And God's going, I'll, I'll, I'll heal you. Are you willing to obey me? <sighs> Whatever. Okay. Dip seven times in the muddy water. And he does. God does it. Don't be ashamed of doing those things. Let God grow our faith. And also beware of being a Gehazi. Being greedy for things that don't belong to you. Things that you can't obtain. And then, isn't it true that just like leprosy, just like leaven, one sin begets another sin, and then another sin, and then you have to cover up that sin, and then you've got to do this, and then pretty soon you forgot the story that you told this one to cover up the thing that you told the other one on the phone the other day, but now you've texted somebody and you told them something different, so now you're like, <sighs> you're tangled in your own web like us. You're in a spider web, and you're just dangling there like Frodo Baggins. tasty morsel for Shelob. But God is so much greater, isn't he? And he wants to do wonderful things in your life. I want to encourage you to just fall in love with Christ all over again. Allow him to encourage your faith. Allow him to rid you of those things that are plaguing you. Can we do that? Let's do this. And let's, let's let God do something beautiful in the church again here in Calvary Chapel in our lives. Because folks, again, these things that we read are for our nurture, for our admonition, so that we can grow and that we can be a light to everyone around us. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a light. I don't want to be a a grump walking around angry at what's happening in the world. I want to have a smile on my face and going, yeah, it's bad, but you know what? Our God is greater He's got a plan. I don't understand it, and honestly, I don't even like it. But Lord, I know you are in control, and I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and what? He will direct your paths. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and pray that you bless us now. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray.
That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.